Thank you, Rahul, for reading our scripture for us today. Uh, I am so glad to be able to worship with you all guys today. Uh, whether it's your first time here or you've been coming here for years, I'm just grateful that we get this community, this space to worship together. There's some scriptures that we just don't even need to preach on, right? I, this is one of those scriptures that it's just it's a story of love, of acceptance, of forgiveness. Uh, and I've been so grateful that the last three weeks we've been in this series in Luke 15, We've been exploring these three stories, which make up one parable. He told us the story, Jesus. He told us the story in response to the confusion of the religious leaders of his time. They were incredibly strict, and they were so perplexed by Jesus' hospitality to people they considered less than, people they considered sinful and wrongdoers. Jesus offered some radical love, hospitality, and companionship to these people, And in response, Jesus told this story to them. In our first week, Jesus uh, told us the story of the shepherd and the woman. And Solomon taught us the ways that the Trinity, that God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, are all involved in the process of finding us, bringing us home in celebration. And last week, we looked at the story of the father and and the younger son. We, we saw this way that despite everything the younger brother had done, every insult he had thrown to his father, this father heedlessly was willing to spend whatever it took to restore his son. He received his child with deep joy and forgiveness, absorbing the cost of the son's mistakes, giving away what was necessary to restore his son, And even going so far to spend resources, just just throw a party for his child, just celebrate him. This is the kind of God we, we live for. This is the kind of God we serve. A compassionate, loving father who is willing to spend whatever it takes for our behalf. Not even just to bring us back to him, but to just celebrate us, to give us joy, to give us a party. Life with God is a life of joy. And, and these three patterns, they kind of have a step to them, a bit of a rhythm. It's, it's, it's these three stories that follow the same kind of pattern. Something is lost, a sheep, a coin, a son. It's lost, and then it's found suddenly, right? We get this moment where it's found, the climax. And at each story, it ends with this party, with this celebration and this joy. The, these three stories are, are kind of conveyed to us that God responds to repentance not with begrudging acceptance, but with a rager, just like throwing a party for us. Um, The life of repentance is the life of joy. That's what these stories are telling us. But in the third story, we miss a beat a little bit. We kind of, the sway, the rhythm goes off. Something changes. A key component is missing. See, the first two stories, we have a shepherd and a woman. Two people who are actively going out of their way to find what went missing. They are actively going out of their way to to go and look for the thing that they lost, right? There's this active participant that is the finding agent. In the third story, we have a father that's waiting for the return of his son, but we don't have that active person who is looking for the lost child. It's because we are reminded that this is not a story about the father and the lost son. This is not the story of the father and the prodigal son. Let's let's remind ourselves how this story begins. There was a man who had two sons. This is the story of a father and the two lost sons. And today we're going to look at that older brother and talk about the ways that the father relates to him. So first off, 
The Bible is a story about family. It opens up with a, a story of family, the, uh, the first people that are mentioned in the Bible, right? Adam and Eve, they have a family. The, the Bible also ends in the New Testament telling us about God creating a family, the family of God, that God has made this family. The Bible is all about family. And you would think in a story, in, in a book, the Bible, that uniquely is revealing the nature, the activity, the character of God, you would think that these families kind of have it together. They're kind of like doing a good job of things. You think they'd be classically godly, right? Relating to each other really well, a lot of love, a lot of affection, a lot of joy. They're kind of a team effort. You would think that. But what I love about the Bible is that the Bible is the story of us as well. We are a people of complex families, broken families, dysfunctional families. And the Bible does not pretend like that is not reality. The Bible is filled with difficult families. And specifically when it comes to siblings, there's a bit of a precedent that is set that is a little sad. So let's start here. Let's talk about just the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. First brothers. These are the first brothers ever mentioned in the Bible. Here's how it starts. They kill, they kill one another. Well, Cain kills his brother. That's how we start. That is the precedent we're setting. That is page one, right, of the story of siblings in the Bible. Cain and Abel are competing for God's favor. Cain becomes jealous and brings a rock to his brother's head and murders him, murders him in cold blood. We are off to a rough start when it comes to siblings in the Bible. We, we kinda, we're going to fast forward a little bit. And the next family siblings that we uh, really get to zoom in on is uh, these two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And their relationship is defined by just constant trickery and constant foolishness. Jacob impersonates his brother Esau to steal from his blind father and to steal his brother's inheritance. Esau vows to kill Jacob because of this. This is, again, this is what we're, when we talk about brotherhood in the Bible, you would think it would be touchy-feely and nice. No, we're talking about murder. That's the context we're getting here. This, the Bible makes me very grateful for my brother. We have our, we have our issues, but we're, we're doing okay. Let's talk about the sisters that come up immediately after this, Leah and Rachel. Through another act of trickery, both of them get married to Jacob. And this relationship, this sisterhood relationship, they grew up together, probably playing together, it slowly devolves over a lifetime into this bitter rivalry. They're competing for this one man's affection, competing to be loved by their husband. And it's just a relationship filled with jealousy, filled with distrust. Jacob has 12 sons. And these brothers, I hate to break it to you guys, don't get along either. The, the 12 brothers, one of these brothers is Joseph, who is loved by his father more. And his 12, 11 brothers gang up on him and sell him into slavery. This is just one book of the Bible. This is not the, this is not the, the whole Bible. This is one book of the Bible. So when the original readers heard this story and heard about brothers that didn't get along, they'd be like, yeah, that's par for the course. That's what happens. That's, that's what this is about. And here is the relationship that the brother has to his younger brother, right? He sees the father's generosity to his younger sibling, and this is how he reacts. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. See, the younger brother was the one who said, I'm going to go back to my father's home and I'm going to make myself like a servant. 
But the reality we see here is there's a flip of the narrative. It wasn't the younger brother that was a slave. It wasn't the younger brother that was a servant. It was the older brother this whole time. The older brother was the one who thought of himself as a slave. He saw his father the same way his younger brother did. He saw him as ungenerous, unloving, and a bad place to be. He thought of him as a slave. He goes on to talk about his father's lack of generosity. You never gave me a young goat. The relationship that this brother has to his father is of one, it's a boss. It's someone who extracts his labor, who extracts his service, who just takes obedience. And there's actually something culturally happening a little bit under the surface here. See, uh, I'm Indian American. My family immigrated here from India. And in Indian culture, it's really important that you call everyone by the appropriate title, right? My grandparents are Amichi and Apachin. Anyone who is older than me or like is one generation above me, I have to call them uncle or auntie. If you're like a day older than me, I have to call you Chachin or Chechi, right? These honorifics, these titles are really, really important. And what we notice in this passage is that the son does not ever refer to his dad by any family name. He doesn't say father, he doesn't say dad, he doesn't say Abba, none of that. All he says is look. It's like he's talking to a stranger. This is a full rejection of his father. The other thing that's happening is he rejects his brother. Notice how he talks about his brother. He doesn't say my brother, he doesn't say my sibling. He says this son of yours. This is a bitter, dripping with resentment, rejection of his whole family. He's not just doing it privately either. He's not going into the party. He's not going into the feast. This is a public and private rejection of his family for the world to see. This father has been through a ringer. He has lost essentially both of his sons. One has been restored, but he still went through the trauma of losing him. And now he is faced with this kind of publicly shameful rejection. It would make sense for this father to kind of be like, I need to cut toxic people out of my life. It would, it makes, I would, that's justified. This is a bad family relationship. This is not how we relate to each other. This is not a good relationship. And yet... In this story that Jesus tells us about the, the Lord's generosity, about God's generosity, this is how the father responds. Verse 31 starts with these words, my son. I think there are those of us in this room that need to hear those words spoken to us from God. That his first words to us, despite our rejection, despite our distrust, despite our even straight up hatred, the first words he says is my child. That is how God sees us. Whether we are the prideful older brother who thinks that our reputation makes us deserve everything in the world, or if we are the shameful younger brother who's run away and been afraid and is filled with shame for the mistakes we made, the first words that the father says is my child. There is no rejection in this passage. See, this passage is not a acceptance of sinful people and a rejection of the religious people. It is not judgmental about judgmental people. It is this wholehearted, full-bodied acceptance and love and forgiveness of all people. And it invites all of us, however we are lost, to hear the generosity and the acceptance of God. 
he goes on to extend his generosity by saying, everything I have is yours. He, he offers everything once again. And something I love about this statement here is that this is not just a touchy-feely statement of everything I have is yours. Like, it's not just a kind of an offer. It's a statement of legal fact. It's actually a statement of what is really true. And here's why. Let's, let's remind ourselves what happened earlier, right? So the younger brother asked for his inheritance, and this is what the father did in response to that. What it says is he divided his property between them, them plural. So when the father was giving the inheritance to the younger brother, he was also dividing his property and being fully generous to his older brother. There was generosity for everyone, even in that moment of rejection and rebellion. So what's really an issue for this older brother is not just he doesn't think his father is generous. He can't be generous to himself. He can't give himself the goat because it's already his. It is legally his. That is the relationship that God has with us, that he is always giving, willing to give, whether or not we want like his joy, his, his life. He is a giving God, regardless of how we see him or how we are experiencing him. But the, the, the flip side of this is a little bit more complicated because everything in that property, everything in that home belonged to the older brother. It was his by legal rights. All the wealth and possessions were the older brothers. The reality is, is that it comes at real cost, dollar and cents, for the older brother to accept the younger brother. That ring, that robe, the shoes, the calf, those are all the property of the older brother. See, older brother's problem is not judgmentalism alone. It's not bitterness. It's not jealousy. It's actually close-fistedness. It's the inability to release what he thinks he deserves. It's his inability to even accept what he thinks he deserves. The father is inviting his older child into costly generosity. But the promises on the other side of that generosity is deep joy. It's a party. There's a banquet being thrown. He's inviting him into family. That is what it means for us who call ourselves Christians. That is the invitation of the gospel. When we are invited to be siblings in the family of God, to love others, it means that the love we offer is free. The forgiveness we offer is free. Here's the thing. Love Love is free to the beloved. We know that from an experience of God. God gives his love to us for free. Forgiveness is free to the forgiven. God has offered us mercy and forgiveness. He didn't ask for anything in return. Those two things being free, though, it doesn't mean that it doesn't come without cost. Forgiveness is costly to the forgiver. And love is costly to the lover. We know this from our own lives, from difficult relationships where we've had to work hard, give up something, let go of something for the sake of love, for the sake of forgiveness. And it doesn't always feel like we're ready to do that. But on the other side of that forgiveness, on the other side of that generosity, I promise you is deep, deep joy. It's a party. It's, it's family. I know it's not easy, but it's, it's without a doubt good. I want us to consider for a moment if there's someone in our lives that we might need to forgive. We might not throw them a party, 
Because sometimes they don't want to come home, right? We, they, they don't want to repent. They don't want to return to the right way of relationship. But as children of God, as people who long to follow Jesus, we are called to be generous and generous with our forgiveness. It is the way of the kingdom of God. It is the way of the family of God. It is what this father was inviting this son into. This passage teaches us that lostness is not just about going far away and sinning, but it's actually about unbelief in the generosity of God. Unbelief in the character of God to be good to us, to love us as children. Whether we are far away sinning or close by following orders, right? We are invited into that generosity. This passage, right, is about going from lost to found. It's about being saved. It's about how God reaches us with his love, how we receive his love. Uh, this passage is kind of classically, we talk about it in the form of evangelism. But what I love about this passage is that it teaches us that evangelism is not just about being bold, being courageous, or about a matter of words. Evangelism is a matter of generosity. See, in this passage, we see that generosity is evangelism, that that is what it means to bring someone into the fold of God, is to be generous. One of my favorite stories is in Acts 6, and it's a story where there's this ethnic minority group of people in the early church that are not being well-resourced. They're not receiving food. Their widows, the people who are suffering, are not receiving enough food. They're under-resourced, right? So the church in that community empowers the local leaders of that group to, they give them authority, they give them decision-making powers, they give them money, whatever they need to, to solve this issue, to, to, to be able to address this. And what happens is that the city around them notices what's going on. They see this kind of, it's basically just public policy. They're talking about like taking resources and sending it to a community. They see this systemic structural generosity around them in the early church. And this is what happens in the city. It says, the word of God spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I love the word so there because it's like a logical connector. It talks about this structural policy that they put in place, and then immediately people come to faith. And what it's saying is that there is this, something beautiful is happening in this community. Something, something is right about this community. This community works. And I think we are called to be that kind of community, that we tie our well-being to one another, that the needs we see around us, the financial, the emotional, the relational needs that we see around us, we meet it for one another. And that is the witness to the world around us, because generosity is evangelism. We see that in this passage. And I also love that this passage teaches us more about generosity, that it's holistic, right? This passage is not just a kind of generosity of relationship, of being able to forgive and offer and say words, but it's this holistic generosity of restoring his social status, of offering the, the food that he needs, offering the clothes that he needs. It's this full-bodied generosity. When we are called to be generous siblings in the family of God, I think that shows up in our friendships and it shows up in our budgets. And that's, that's how generosity acts its way out in our lives. And all of this, you can do this. This is not hard to do. It's, it's a matter of clicking buttons to donate. It's a matter of saying hi to the right people, right? This isn't that complicated. But the reality in this passage that the father is trying to communicate to his older brother is that generosity is responsive. Paul writes in the New Testament, if I give all I possess to the poor, but I do not have love, 
I gain nothing. The older brother could have begrudgingly accepted the father's, the father's pleads and could have offered his wealth for the sake of the brother. But it would have just continued that same cycle of thoughtless obedience, thoughtless following of orders, and it would never have solved his core brokenness with his father. The, the brother was not aware of his status as a loved child. He wasn't aware of his place in the home, and he first needed to receive his father's generosity. At the end of the story, we don't know what happens to that older brother. It ends on a cliffhanger. We don't know if he enters the home. We don't know if he leaves his family for good. It's, we're kind of stuck. We're really stuck there. And like I said earlier, we're missing that figure. There's this longing that is created by this passage. Someone who would go and find that child. Someone who would go and look for them. In this time period, elder brothers were these family negotiators. If you are an older sibling, you might be kind of a co-parent to your parents, right? Where you kind of have to both parent your parents and parent the younger children, right? That might be your experience. But that's the reality of this culture, that elder brothers were meant to be the people that handle family disputes. This passage is missing the figure who finds the younger brother because it should have been the older brother. He should have gone out to find and bring his brother home. It makes us long for an older brother that would joyfully find us and receive us and bring us home. The good news of the gospel is this. Jesus, the storyteller of this parable, is that older brother. In all the broken sibling dynamics we see in the Bible, we see in the parable, we see in our very lives... They all stir this longing for wholeness, for a whole relationship with that sibling that would go all the way for us. And Jesus is that sibling. Jesus is the true older brother that at cost to himself, at the cost of his very life, he was the son of God. He took his inheritance and brought it and gave it to us for free. He suffered death on the cross so that we could re-enter into the party of God, into the household of God. And through his resurrection, he defeated death so that we could have new life, new joy in the family of God. He is the one who has come searching for us, sparing no expense out of his deep love for us as siblings. I spoke a little last week about my story about when I was 19, that I was about to fail college, I, was, I lost all my friends, I made an incredible number of mistakes on, along the way. I thought I had only one option to run away from home to abandon my family. So I packed my bags, left no indications where I was going, wrote letters to my loved ones, and left. I got on a bus out of the state. And I shared how my father, they eventually found me. And like the father in this story, he received me with a gentleness and tenderness that revealed the love of God to me. But today I want to tell you a little bit about how I was found. I'm going to put a picture up. This is, uh, it's a little washed out, but this is me and my older brother, Jonathan. Uh, We have the same haircut because that's what parents do for some reason. They just make their kid get the same haircut. Uh, We had the sharp shape-up edges. Uh, But uh, this is my older brother. He's three years older than me. And everyone who knows my brother knows how relaxed under pressure he can be. He lets, like, insults, struggles, hardships, difficulties just, like, roll off him. Uh, he's, he's an anesthesiologist, and he says he went into that because, like, he can just remain cool under pressure. He's cool, he's calm, and collected. 
But when I learned about my brother's response, when he learned that I had run away, when he learned that I had disappeared, it gave me a new image of him. When my brother learned that I had run away from home, he was in Nashville at the time. He was in medical school, and he was like in finals and stuff. It was crazy. And as soon as he found out, he got in his car and drove straight to New York. He left everything behind to join this mission to find me. He was a man on a mission, and he was, he was like fully committed to getting me home no matter what. And again, my brother is known as this really chill guy. Like You can't bother him, and he's not going to bother you. He's just kind of like live and let live. But my friends tell me that when my brother was trying to find me and talking to all my friends, like getting as much information, he went full bad cop. He went full, like, it was an interrogation. My friends were like, this is the scariest moment of my life when, my bro- when your brother was talking to me because my brother was trying to find whatever information he could just to bring me home. They had no idea where I was. And eventually, after he talked to, like, all of the contacts he could figure out, he found one friend who knew one password to a Google account that had my search history and they found out that I had gone to Pittsburgh. <laughs> they had found that I had Googled these things, and they began calling every shelter in Pittsburgh. And that's how they found me. My brother tirelessly, single-mindedly searched for me. There are moments, I mentioned this, there are moments in our life where I think the love of God is shining through the actions and love of other people. It's like when light hits a mirror in a house and fills the whole home with mirror. And I think that's what was happening to me for this moment. Just like my brother did, Jesus is our older brother who went out of his way to find us and bring us home. He, he spared no expense. He was, he was single-minded to find us. My brother also was critical in helping me get back on my feet, actually. He helped me prepare for meetings with school administrators so I could get readmitted to my program. He, he, uh, he came with me to all my makeup exams. He also like, mediated the pain that was between me and my parents. Like He was this co-parent. This is, this is what Jesus is to us. This older brother that mediates, that searches, that looks, that finds, that works tirelessly so that we can experience the love of God in his house. He is the true older brother who restores us to the father at his own cost.